Hello, and welcome to the Personal Wealth Coach with Jake and Jeff McClure. We're going to talk a little bit today about what happened this week in the market, followed up by why is our economy doing so freaking well in the middle of when everybody was telling us of dire news to come. We'll be back on the other side of the bumper music with more. Once more unto the breach, dear friends. Else fill the wall up with our English dead. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, all the boys and girls, definitely listen to economics programs. For sure, I'm not living in an imaginary world. Uh, this is the Personal Wealth Coach, and we got to start with disclosures because we're regulated. Um, disclosure number one, we're the Personal Wealth Coach. That's the name of the podcast. It's also the name of the SEC registered investment advisory firm that these two weird bald guys are paid by and run and stuff. Um, just because the firm is registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC has somehow granted us some anointment of anything. They don't do that. I don't believe it's anywhere in the code that they are allowed to anoint someone. So there's no favoritism there. Maybe. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, right. So... Um, whether or not the SEC have anointed us may or may not be in there, but they don't have favoritism. How's that? They don't think we're amazing just because we're registered with them. They're a regulatory authority. Um, this is also not investment advice, even though that's what we're registered to give. This is education. Hopefully, we're going to teach you something today. Maybe not. Maybe we're just going to talk. <laughs> And uh, you want to give your uh, handy-dandy, wonder-filled, uh, very fast and radio-ease disclosure. The information we present on this podcast has been obtained from sources we deem to be reliable, but we make no warranty or guarantee as to the accuracy or completeness of said statements. See, we're supposed to play that in a monotone at about three times the speed, but we're not going to try that. So... Anyway, that, that's the end of the disclosures. What happened in the market this week? Well, if you're looking at the SPX, which we do, the Standard Poor's 500 Stock Index, you're probably a happy camper because it passed through 5,000 and at the end of the week closed at 5,026.61. That's up 1.37% for the week, 5.38% this year, and almost 23% higher than where it was a year ago. Yay! And it was great rejoicing. However, don't you love it? That's not a but, but it's a however. A however is an educated but. Did you know that? Um, how, however, yes. However, however, the Dow Jones Industrial Average slipped downward, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is kind of sagging, despite the fact it has some large cap stocks in it, and the large cap side of the market is where the growth is right now, like Caterpillar and Walt Disney, who turned in record earnings this week and went down, which tells you something, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yeah. So we also follow the CRSP U.S. Mid-Cap Value Index, and it only was up 0.07% for the week. It is still below where it started the year a little bit. It is still certainly below its record back in 2022. It is 23% higher than it was a year ago, and that tells you something. The large tech, high-growth, high-price-to-earnings multiple companies about seven of them, that have been dominating the S&P 500 are continuing to dominate the S&P 500 and drive it up while the rest of the market is just kind of plodding along. As a matter of fact, I refer to that value index uh, as the tortoise 
in the race with the hare. And the hare is shooting upward, moving very, very fast. This reminds me so much of the late 1990s. Um, and that did not end well. So yeah. who knows what the future holds? I don't know. Well, it, it did. Just, it didn't end. You say it didn't end well, but we're here and we're doing a lot better than we were there. Right, so we, right. there just was some bumpiness in the middle. Well, the SPX running off and leaving the rest of the market behind did not end well for the people who jumped on and made it do. Because the Standard Poor's 500 stock index is rising so fast because seven stocks are rising really, really fast. And they're rising really, really fast because a lot of people are pouring a lot of money into those seven stocks, which is what happened at the end of the 1990s. And if you were investing in the rest of the market, you saw some slow, steady gains. And then in 2000 through 2002, when those super big super stocks cratered, you didn't crater with them. And I don't know if that's going to happen again, but it sure looks that way. We have some good other similarities that we'll be talking about on the subject as well about index investing, passive investing, and how that relates to exactly what mm -hmm. we're talking about. It's something else that's very similar to the late 1990s. But back to the to the market. Well, we've got lots of good stuff coming. Back to the market, which sounds like a female mark, but that's all right. The benchmark 10-year U.S. Treasury note crept a bit higher to 4.17%. Now, there's a meaning there, too. It's about 12% higher than it was at the beginning of the year, but substantially lower than it was last October. But if you look at it over a longer period of time, other than the, the pitch upward in October, what we're seeing, well, we're, let me back up. The short side of the market, the I shouldn't say short, that's not a good term. The very short maturity side of the market, of the of the bond market, the one-month, two-month maturity treasury securities are still yielding over 5.5%. You go all the way out to 30 years, and you're looking at about 4.38%, 4.37%. Um, so what we've got is a yield curve that normally the shortest maturing treasuries, the one-month, two-month, three-month, and so on, have the lowest interest rates, and the 30-year has the highest interest rates, and there's normally a pretty substantial difference between them. Right now, the very short-term maturing treasuries still have a much higher interest rate than the 20 or the 30, and certainly than the 10. As a matter of fact, it's called a, what's called a belly in the market. The 10-year treasury, which is the benchmark, is the lowest yielding on the whole curve. That's weird. On a scale of 1 to 10, that's weird. Um, I'm going to have minute. to say that... Where is weird on the curve? Well, we've just established on a scale of 1 to 10, it's weird, and that means yeah. the U.S. 10-year Treasury. There you go. I suppose. Well, it's it's weird at the short end, it's weird at the long end, and it's one of those things that... So you just established it's watch. weird in the middle. It's weird on the short it, end and the long end. It's just weird all over the place. Somebody might say it was weird, yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb, which I rarely do, but I'm going to... Make sure point. it's not rotten. Like just I'm gonna double make check a it. Are you wearing a harness? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm sitting down very anxious. Just make thoroughly. sure you're clipped in when you go out on the limb. Okay. okay, go ahead. We are going to see the Federal Reserve very slowly reduce rates towards the end of the year. There's a lot of people out there who still are firmly convinced the Fed is going to have to yank the rates in because there's a big recession coming. No, what we are seeing is an acceleration. The reason we have seen this rise in the S&P 500 is those big companies that are oriented on the new technology of artificial intelligence and digitalization are turning in phenomenally increased earnings, much higher than anybody expected. And there's a reason for that. Um, which is being explored in economics right now. They're, 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 we have some bad paradigms on that. We'll get to that. But let's let's simply say that let's talk about the oil for a moment. Oil also rose a bit. Uh, it it crept upward to seventy six point 
$76.49 a barrel. Why are interest rates and oil slowly creeping up? Because the economy is accelerating and loan demand is rising. That is normal behavior. As a matter of fact, the 10-year and the 30-year are sitting pretty much where they should be. It's the short-term rates that are high that are weird, and they don't appear to be slowing the economy down. Uh, the economy, I think, is slowing down, not because the Fed has imposed higher interest rates, but despite the fact, it, I shouldn't say it's slowing down. It isn't slowing. It's rate, the rate of growth of acceleration, is slowing. Yeah. The, the rate of acceleration is returning to something that is sustainable. Now, frankly, what we saw at the end of last year and what we're seeing at the beginning of this year is still a growth rate that is not long-term sustainable. We're going to have to slow our growth rate a little further. And if you don't understand that, if you think, well, as people did in 2016, we'll have 4% growth into the future. Well, no, you can't. And if you don't believe that, try to drive down I-35 Yeah, if you're in Central Texas or drive on any other major highway. And you realize there's as many trucks on that highway. We're getting close to saturation and transportation, and transportation is critical to this, and that's the markets. Yeah. So another aspect of that, since we're jumping right out of this, the similarities between the 1990s and today are staggering. Our economy is still growing despite of a lot of headwinds. The seven companies that we keep talking about, they're called the Magnificent Seven. There's a lot of different people that have given different nicknames for them. The most often used is the Magnificent Seven. Not all of them are turning in phenomenal earnings at all. So if we look at like Apple, Apple's not doing poorly, but it's not growing its earnings anywhere near as fast as the company has grown. The price of the company has grown. What What's going on there? And this is one of the weird things back in the old radio days, as we were doing this recording, I we were on a very conservative network. And so this used to light up the lines. We had a lot of telephone lines coming in at that point. It used to light them all up when I would say index investing is communist. Now, I didn't mean that that's wrong, but it's communist. Well, what do you mean it's communist? Indexes are what's called capitally weighted. That means the larger the company by by size, by price size, you know, if you think of all the shares out there and you're multiplying by the stock price, that's the value of the company. It's called the market capitalization. So that means that the big companies, the massive companies have a much, much bigger impact on the performance of the market, which is reasonable. I mean, if the 500th largest company in the United States is probably not one that you're familiar with. I know I'm not. I think we have 503 in there right now. But if it's the smallest one on that list, you've probably never heard of it. Neither have I. Its movement today should not move the market drastically. That's reasonable because an index is a thing that you use to measure the market with. So these big companies are doing great, but this is the deal, is that, you know, the old coffee makers where you put the, the water in and it, it had a little vial on the side of the, of the container that, like a bubble vial with lines on it that told you how deep it was on the inside. They skipped the bubble and they just go straight to putting it clear on the side of the coffee uh, maker these days, but shows you how deep it is. Well, if you took your water and poured it into that little bubble thing, the glass bubble that shows the depth on the inside, you'd fill that bubble up a lot faster than you fill up the stuff inside the coffee maker. What's interesting about this is that 
when people buy an index fund, that's what they're doing. They're reinforcing an already existent size difference between companies by giving more money, in essence, making the stock price higher to bigger companies than they're giving to little companies. And when you look at the percentage of people investing in what are called passive funds, a lot of them are tracking the S&P 500 index, which means as soon as a company gets into the index, even the 503rd smallest, its stock price goes up immediately. When it comes out of the S&P 500, it's already getting smaller or it wouldn't be coming out. The day it gets out, it drops drastically. Being in the index shouldn't affect the profitability or the value of the company. If you're thinking about a bunch of people sitting around making something, whether or not you can buy them uh, should change their value. But just measuring their value shouldn't change their value. So the index in measuring things didn't change their value until they started being used as an investment vehicle. So now we send more money to the big companies and less money to the little companies, which isn't efficient. We're not looking at the earnings of these companies anymore. But if you have extra money and you're throwing it at your 401k and you've got a life cycle fund or you've got a, uh, an index fund for the S&P 500, then you're participating in that. And you've probably seen the gains in those same positions. So it's not all bad. It's just not efficient for valuing good companies. That happened at the end of the 90s and the early 2000s as well. And it corrected itself in the dot-com bust. Um, and it, it took them a long time to get back where the weighting of index funds is causing the prices to move more than the company themselves. Had you invested in the lowest cost S&P 500 index fund at the end of the 1990s, going into 2000, actually during 2000, most of the most of the year, when it was roaring along, had you thrown a lump sum in there, it would have been 13 years later before you could sell and recover the value plus inflation. And it's even longer if it was in a taxable position. If it was in a taxable position, it was, I don't know, 15 years. Right. Because you lose money on taxes, despite the fact you had no additional value. Now, if you this, had this held is, on to this, it, you'd be up almost 230% from, from the very, very top of the market in 2000. And so there's two stories here. And one story is it took a long time to recover. Now, that's not an annual return of 229%. It's, that's how far it's gone. And the S&P 500 crossed 5,000 on Friday. And that's Friday the 9th of February. On 24th of March of 2000, it crossed 1527. That's 1,527. It's over 5,000 now. So when you look at that, it's more than two times the value it was then, but it's over a 23, almost 24-year period. And seven of those, you were underwater. You just hadn't recovered yet. So patience is <laughs> really important. Um, I wanted to throw that in because you are absolutely right. It People got clobbered and we know a lot of people that bailed out of the market at that point because it was clobbered so hard. And this is a big warning for those of you that are listening right now. If you're experiencing large growth in your portfolio, high, high growth, that never comes without an opposing risk. There is always a risk associated with high performance. The high performance in academia is called risk premium. That's exactly what it's called. What? 
Back to you, sir. Since that high in 2000, you might want to consider that $5.38 in 2000 would take $9.14 to buy today. Yeah. It's almost, the prices have almost doubled, which means the value, the dollar value, if you sell today, the dollars are worth half, roughly, what they were worth at the peak of the market. So, yeah, the market has gone up 200%, but it's lost 100% on that scale. So, yeah, the market has doubled since 2000. However, when, when inflation's applied, yeah. Since that is over a uh, 25-year period. 24 years, 10 months, and 16 days. Round figures, 25 years. <laughs> okay, I'm doing some quick. That means that your real rate of return during that period of time, if you double in 25 years, mm-hmm. is pretty low. About a little less than, it's around, it's a little, little below 3%. Yeah. Now, I will also say, and this is backed up by academia, you know, the people who eat academia nuts. Yes. Uh, had you bought into value indices during that period of time, which were not overpriced, and just continued to held to hold during that period of time, you would have done better. Now, that's not to say that this will happen in the future. I'm not telling you that. I am saying that the top seven stocks that are driving the S&P 500 are at this point speculative. That doesn't mean they can't grow for the next six years like a weed. And right. they might do that. Just be aware of that. Do you mind if I pissed ask you a question about the academia nuts i'm sorry sure. I, I had to throw that in there sure i mind I, my I, mother I, I, you never minded to me as far as i knew so well you're the one who never minded uh, so what we're saying to wrap that up is that there's a truth that doesn't go away in the market it just looks like it goes away sometimes and that is you should always look at buying a company like you're actually going to buy a company in a small business sort of way. You say, hey, is this a good deal? Well, it's higher price than it's ever been before because people think it's going to do really well, so they bid it really up. Probably, it may do very well. Yeah, and it might. But that's not probably why you would buy a small company. You might. If you feel like you can help them manage toward that growth, you might do it. But if you're approaching a small company in the way most people that we talk to do, They say, well, what are its assets worth? What's its income look like? Does it have a lot of debt? What, you want me to pay 40 times that to you? No, no, I'm not going to, no. That's that's just the reality of some of the big companies right now is that- And I also- Yeah, go ahead. I also want to admit something. It's entirely possible that we have this anomaly here where these high-tech companies with AI and Digitalis or whatever they've got I think we'll they have the new rocket, the new electric typewriters. I got it. They just have bigger screens. Could yeah. be. Are going to change the world and do a lot better. And yeah. I, I think some of them will. I think it's going to happen. I guess the, the lesson that I'm recommending is don't go all in to high tech, very large growth company stocks and think it'll keep doing this forever. Yeah. It's, it's history suggests that it probably won't. Yeah. And when we look at the more than a thousand companies that introduced themselves to the public auction market. Their initial public offering was in 2021. Mm -hmm. About 90% of them don't exist anymore. And they all thought that they were going to do well or they wouldn't have done it. So having some judgment about a startup is really important. And when it gets to, for instance, venture capital, about 90% of venture capital, you have to put air quotes around this next word, ideas fail. Those ideas are just investments. 
So they have to make enough on the 10% that make it in order to stay profitable. When that ratio changes, when everything's doing well, that's when we start waving our hands. Now, everything can do well for a long time. The roaring 20s was a decade where we were seeing unemployment skyrocket and we saw the market skyrocket with it. Um, when we think about 2000 and the dot-com bubble, the, the whole term irrational exuberance came out of that. And it took five years from that term being used before the market dropped. Six. Six? six so the years. first time it was used. Yeah. That's what, you heard me say six years a minute ago. Yeah. So, so that concept, when we're looking at this, you need to be aware if your portfolio is doing well, it could drop harder than it grew. That's a normal thing in the market. Why do we keep reiterating that? Because if you're well diversified and you have patience, historically, you've done really, really well. Not jumping out of the market and back into the market, being diversified and having patience. So don't double down on growth just because growth is doubling down on itself. Uh, this is not Vegas. This is long-term stuff. And if you want to make the decisions the way that long-term wealth makes the decisions, you look at what the thing is worth that you're buying and you ask a reasonable question, can they earn enough to pay me back for what I'm paying them? Not, will somebody else pay me more later? How well is this company doing and will it pay me back eventually? I think those, those are important concepts and it's really, it's true no matter where we are in history. We just happen to be right now in history, right now. But guess what? At every other point in history, they could have said exactly the same thing. Yeah, It's always right now. And <laughs> one more parallel, and we're getting a little long on this, but let me, one more parallel. In the 1920s, I guess it was the 1920s, yeah, the Nifty 50 yeah. were the stocks, and they included high-tech companies. Some of those high-tech companies still exist. Some of them don't. But with a major bull market and new technology being introduced, there's always a small number of high-growth large companies that do very, very well until they don't. And when they don't, there's generally very little warning. That's not to say you should stay completely out of that. Heaven forbid. I'm not saying that. I'm just, just be warning diversified. people. That if, you, if you put all your money in S&P 500 index fund and it does what it has done historically following periods of time where it's behaving this way, you're not going to be very happy in a few years. Yeah. Matter so of fact, I think about, I give it about six years. The way we look at this is the same education that we give in the top of a market and the bottom of a market. Live within your means. If you need more means, figure out a way to earn it. Yep. Save what you can. Make sure that you have money in a easily accessible location. A bank is a great idea there. Make sure you have enough to make it through rough times. Then invest and do it with discipline. It's not sexy. None of what I just said is sexy. You're not jumping on crypto. You're not looking at the hottest stocks. You're investing with discipline saying, this company is worth what I'm paying for it or less. Not, what do I think it's going to be worth in 10 years? It's worth right now more than I'm paying for it. If that's your opinion, you're making good decisions every day. So that's something we say in an up market and a down market. It, we're in an up market right now. We'll say it at the bottom too. All right. If you'd like to talk talk to us off the air, we actually do this sort of thing with advice tacked on to it uh, for a living. Uh, and we have a great staff who on non on the weekdays is going to answer the phone. On the weekends, we have voicemail, but there's never a phone tree because we're the personal wealth coach and we don't like trees. Wait, wait that's not what I meant to say. Okay, so if you'd like to contact us locally, 
the number is? 254-947-1111. Or if you should have that archaic landline still attached to some phone in your house, it's toll-free, 1-800-914-7526. That's 800-914-PLAN. You can go to our webpage, thepersonalwealthcoach.com, where we have a large bank of newsletters going back a long time. You can read them there. You can sign up and get them every week. Uh, We also have an archive of podcasts and radio programs going back quite a bit. So uh, take a look. Until next time, this has been The Personal Wealth Coach.